In the year 536 BC, God moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to allow the exiled Israelites to return to Jerusalem and begin rebuilding the temple. The return of the Israelites was God fulfilling the prophet Jeremiah's words spoken many years before. Once in Jerusalem, the Israelites rebuilt the altar and laid the foundation of the temple. However, as God began to move, opposition began to arise. Because of this rising opposition and the improving living conditions, the Israelites quickly became complacent. In 520 BC, God sent another prophet, Haggai, to his people. His words, spoken over 2,500 years ago, still have meaning for us today. Good morning. How we doing? Good, good, good. Good to see you guys. As Natalie was saying earlier, it is a special day. Um, and it's a special day for you guys, but it's also a special day for me. And for me, it's a special day um, really for three reasons. Uh, the first one is I get to preach the first ever message out of Haggai. I've never preached out of Haggai before, so that's special to me. Um, number two is today is my one-year anniversary, right? So, um, Tucker, I'm going to ask you to do something for me if you don't mind. Will you take these over here to this Miss Kate, special young lady over there? Thank you, Tucker. Um, and so that's another special day for me. So we've been married for a year today. So if you guys have any questions, we've got it all figured out. I'll be down here afterwards if y'all have any questions. Um, and then lastly, it is a special day because today's Mother's Day, right? Um, and so we are excited and I wanted to do something um, for that. Hopefully you guys saw the photo booths outside. Um, those are for y'all, man. If you're, if you're a mom and your family's here with you, um, take time to, to make that memory. I know photos are something that, that lasts forever, and so definitely do that. But I know y'all deserve so much more than that. And so, Tucker, I got another job for you. Um, if you will take these back here to uh, Miss Joan in the back section. Um, my mom's actually not here. She's right around there, the back section. Yeah. Miss Joan, raise your hand, please. Yes, there you go. And so my mom's actually not here. She'll be here for the 11 service. And so I was thinking, who's the closest person to my mom? And, and so that would probably be Miss Jones. She leads one of my connect groups, and she is awesome. And so I figured I'd put the pressure on Mr. Frank and her son, Troy. Um, and, and so I figured that'd be a good thing. But anyway, man, we do want to recognize you guys. If you're a mom in here today, would you please um, stand up for me for a second? And would you guys give them a hand? Well, y'all, y'all stay standing for me. Stay standing for me. Um, and so one of the reasons I wanted to give out the flowers was so that you guys could, could reap some benefits from this, right? So one of the things I want you to do is I want you to look around at your family, whoever's with you, your husband or your kids, and I want you to say, did you see what Billy did? <laughs> he gave out flowers, right? And so that's the thing I want you guys to know, man. Y'all are special to us, and y'all can have a seat. Um, I know y'all hate the spotlight, so... Um, anyway, but no, you guys are so special, man. Thank you guys for what you do. And I just know from my own experience and my mom, what a beautiful picture of the love of God that she's been for me. You know, the patience and the love and the kindness that she's shown me through the ups and downs and all the stupid decisions I made. Um, and, and she still loves me. And, and I know um, that, that she's a perfect picture of God's love to me. So I want to pray for y'all real quick, and then we will jump right into the message. Lord, God, we do just thank you for today. God, we thank you for... Um, God, I thank you for each and every mom in this room right now, Lord. I thank you for, for um, God, what they mean to your kingdom, God. I thank you for their kids. I thank you for um, the influence that you've given them in their lives, Lord. I thank you for 
um, just who they are. Lord, I pray just a special blessing over them today as they enjoy just this day, Lord, that um, their families would treat them the way that they deserve to be treated, and that's to honor them. Um, and, and, Lord, I pray that they would be honored today um, and, and that, um, God, we love you and we thank you for that. In Christ's name, amen. All right. Well, welcome. If this is your first time at Connection, we're so glad that you are here. My name's Billy. I'm the discipleship pastor here. Um, that's a fancy term for I work with the small groups. Um, so don't think I'm that big of a deal because I'm not. Um, and so but over the past two weeks, we've been going through this series called The Time Has Come. And we've been looking at the book of Haggai. Um, and I don't even know if you guys know where that's at. I didn't really know where it was, but now we do. Right. So if, if you got your Bibles, um, you can turn to Matthew. And take a left, and it's two books behind Matthew going to your left. Um, you'll see the book of Haggai. Um, and one of the things that I've seen, and I was talking to my Connect group about this uh, last week, is um, really the, the implications that Haggai have on our life, how ap- applicable they are to us in today's society. Um, and even in our culture today, is, is Haggai is usually one of them books that we just slip by, right? It's like, oh, one of the minor prophets, we don't really care about them, right? But I can tell you, man, the, the Bible still speaks, and I promise you, the, these, these books are great, and Haggai is awesome, and I think you'll see that um, today. But I was talking with my Connect group and really digging in and seeing the importance of understanding the background of Haggai before we can be able to relate it to our life, right? Because if we just pick up and read a book, we really don't know uh, what the culture's like, what's going on in the time period. But here's the thing, if we understand the background of the time period, it really begins to come to life for us. And so I want to review that. That's kind of why we made the bumper video the way we did, because it is so important. And so if you'll let me remind you a little bit of kind of what's going on to bring us up to speed with Haggai, and I think we'll be able to understand. And hopefully it'll challenge you guys to begin reading the book on your own, because I, I know it will speak to your heart and encourage you in a huge way. And so I'm going to start all the way back in Genesis and really bring you back up to speed to where Haggai starts and picks up. And so in the book of Genesis, what you see is, is God basically chooses this group of people, right? He chooses this group of people called the Israelites. And these Israelites are his chosen people who he's going to display who he is um, to the world, right? And so they're his people. One of the things he tells them to do is he tells them to build a temple, right? And so he tells them to build this temple. One of the reasons he does that is because when you come into a city, Um, And you walk in, something usually is noticeable about a city. Well, what God tells them to do is he tells them to build this immaculate temple, right? And you probably read it in the Old Testament and skipped over it. I know I did a lot. But anyway, now it comes full speed and I know what it means. But he tells them to build this huge temple. And he, he says, put gold on it, put silver on it, put the finest woods on it, put all these different things and build it where it is an immaculate just beautiful building. And the reason he does that is because when people come into a certain city and they see this immaculate building, basically what it says is that's the most important thing to these people because they've spent all their time, all their money, all their resources on this certain building. And so what happens is is the book of Haggai, what's going on is, is basically you have these Babylonians and, and they're just a huge tribe that come in. And basically what they do is they come into to Jerusalem, where the Israelites are, God's chosen people, and they conquer the people and they destroy this temple. So this temple that they've spent so much time on, this immaculate temple, the Babylons just wipe, just wipe it out. And it's, it's taken down. Basically, they take the Israelites and they move them back um, to Babylon where they hold them captive for 50 years, right? And so for 50 years, you have this temple laying in ruins while God's chosen people are in captivity of somebody else. Well, where Haggai picks up basically is... Um, 
you know, the Babylons basically get conquered by Persia. So Persia, God raises up a king, King Cyrus. He comes in, destroys Babylon, and, and basically uh, God moves his heart to send the Israelites back to Jerusalem, God's chosen city, right, for God's chosen people. And he says, hey, I want you to rebuild my temple to show that God is central, that God is the central figure, that God is who you guys are representing in this. And so basically what happens is they come back and for a year, almost two years, they begin rebuilding this temple. They clear off the rubble, they lay the foundation, they do this stuff, but then opposition arises and apathy and indifference and all these things come in. And what do they do? They stop building the temple, right? And so the correlation I want you guys to see today, and I think, you know, you're probably like, oh, he likes history. This is boring. No, here's what I want you to see. The correlation between Haggai Haggai and us is the fact that the temple to them would kind of be like our relationship with God, right? Because that's how they worship God. That's where the presence of God was located. That's where they went to communicate with God, right? And so for them not to build this temple basically means that they really weren't concerned with God at all. They were doing their own thing, right? Well, in our time, it's the same exact thing. It's, it's indifference and apathy and opposition cause us to basically shun our relationship with God. And we, we just quit focusing on it at all, you know? And so that's why Haggai is so applicable to us because we live in a culture where people throw God to the side for the first thing. Any, any busyness that comes up, my kids got a ball game, uh, you know, any, anything, a, a girl comes in the way, an idol, anything that comes in the way. Basically, we say, God, I, I got to do my own thing. I'll come back to you, Right. And that's the picture we see in Haggai. And what happens is God sends this prophet Haggai. A prophet is just somebody that God sends to speak on his behalf um, to the people. And so this is where Haggai comes on the scene. Um, and as we've heard the past two weeks, Brandon and Joey have done a great job of really kind of bringing us up to speed. Of, of Brandon really talked about Haggai coming in with this message of, hey, wake up. The time's now, right? The time is now. You don't have any more time to, to do your own thing. The time's now to build the temple. The time's now to move God back to the center where he's belong. And, and in our lives, the time is now to move God back to the center of our lives. What have we allowed to come in and, and really take that central role that only God deserves, right? And that's what Brandon talked about. Last week, Joey um, really hit on the idea of considering your ways, right? So he said can, the first step in knowing what, that something's central in your life is really considering your ways. What are your priorities, right? So in my life, what are my priorities? What am I putting before God? Really examining ourselves to see um, what, what, what's there, right? And so the second thing we have to do is consider our ways, right? That's what Joey told us. And so this week, which is the best week, not because I'm preaching it, but because the text is cool, uh, we actually get to see the response of the people, right? So it's wake up, consider your ways. Now we actually get to see what they do. And so let me pray one more time and we'll jump to Haggai um, chapter 1, verses 12 through 15. Father, I do just thank you again, God, for this time. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it speaks to our hearts today, God. Even a book that's written thousands of years ago, God, you still, it still comes alive to us, God. It comes alive and it speaks to our hearts and it's sharper than a two-edged sword, Lord. And it, it shows us who we are, God. I pray today that we wouldn't stay where we are, God. That we would be challenged, God, to change, to consider our ways, God, to to know um, your will for our lives, Lord. So I pray today, right now, Lord, that you would help me communicate your word effectively and faithfully. Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts to hear from you. And Lord, that we wouldn't just hear from you, God, but that we would do what you say. Um, And that's our heart, Lord. So we give you the honor and the praise in this time. And Lord, we just pray you'd be here with us. In Christ's name, amen. All right, cool. So if you got your Bible, turn to Haggai chapter one, right? So Matthew, two books to the left. You got Haggai chapter one. Um, we're starting in verse 12. So if you don't have a Bible, 
It'll be up here on the Sky Bible behind me, right? Um, but if you don't have a Bible, we, we would love to give you a Bible um, because you need it. And you'll see in this message that the Bible is very, very crucial to your walk with the Lord. And so if you don't, if you'll go to our guest services in the back, we'd love to um, give you one. So let's go. Chapter, uh, chapter 1, verse 12. Here we go. Then... Some of these names are, are very hard to pronounce, so bear with me. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, it's pretty good, right? And Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I am with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. All right, so what I want us to see is in verse 12, there is a word, and I don't know if you caught it. It is a little word. But it is huge. It's what I like to call a game changer. Anybody know what a game changer is? There's one person who knows what a game changer is. All right, here we go. All right, so a game changer is somebody who has the ability, right? Jadavion Clowney, anybody watching the NFL draft? Y'all might not like him, but I do. So he's 6'7", he's 300 pounds, and he runs a 4'4". You know what that means? He is good. So he's coming, and dude, he is a game changer. If he's in the game, if you're an offensive lineman like I am, that's the per- ladies, that's the person who blocks the guy. I need at least two of me to block this dude so he don't absolutely kill our quarterback, right? And so that is a game changer. A game changer is just somebody who has the ability to change something that quickly. And that's why they call him a game changer. And this word in Haggai in verse 12, I don't know if you called it, is an absolute game changer. This is the word, man, it's simple, but it's so huge to our relationship with God. And I would say apart from Christ, it is the most important word in all of scripture. It is absolutely that important. It's the word, it's in embracing this word that God chooses to grow us in our relationship with God. It's in embracing this word that God chooses to teach us to trust him, right? As Meg was singing a while ago, it's, it's calling me out on the water. Well, if we embrace this word, that's when we begin to, to step out on the water and, and see um, really the gift of faith and, and what it is. Man, it's, it's through this word that God chooses to accomplish his work through us in a huge way. It's through this word that we find fulfillment and that we find peace and that that everything in our life fits together. It's through embracing this word that we find what we were created to do. And so this word is huge. It's also in this word that basically the test of faith comes true, right? So if this word is true in our life, then, then there's a good chance that we actually are a believer in Christ. But here's the thing. If, if we don't embrace this word, if this word is not the goal of our lives, there's a good chance that we're not saved. Right? That's bold, but I'm telling you this. If this word is not the goal of our lives, there's a good chance that, that we don't know Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And so I'll, say, I'll tell you this word. I want to read it again so you can pick it out because I want you to underline it. But this word is God's number one priority for our life. It's the only priority for our life as a believer. And so hopefully I built your, your momentum with it. All right, so here we go. Verse 12. I want you all to pick it out and say it back to me. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, what they do? Obeyed the voice of the Lord their God in the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God 
had sent him, right? And so what I want us to see in this passage is the importance of obedience, right? Obedience, and, and I'll go back through those things I just told you. Obedience is, is a game changer. It changes everything. Obedience is the way that God chooses to use us for his glory. Obedience is the way that we learn to trust God for who he is, right? Obedience is the way that God chooses to grow us. Obedience is the way that other people see the power of God in our life, right? But in our culture today, it's something that we've separated from being a believer, because we, we, we label that with just coming to church, but that's not the point. That's not what God wants us to see in this text. And so I want us to look in here and I want us to say, what is obedience? What does it look like for my life? And, 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 and how do I, what, what does it even mean, right? And I think this text will give us some insights into it. So I want to walk with you through these things and, and see um, if we can't learn something today. So here we go. Verse 12. Going back to it. Y'all going to memorize this by the end of this. It says, all right, uh, then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, what? Obeyed, what they obey? The voice of the Lord, their God. That's the first thing I want you to know. Number one, obedience starts with hearing the voice of God, right? You got a pen, write that down. That's going to help you. All right, obedience starts with hearing the voice of God. It always has. Right? So if obedience is the goal of our life, if obedience is the thing that, that basically separates a true believer from a, from a false believer, then, then we need to know this. We need to know how to hear the voice of God. It's always been this way. Think all the way back to Abraham, verse Genesis cha- uh, chapter 12. I'm not going to put it up, but I'll paraphrase it. Genesis 12, God comes to Abraham and he says, hey, I want you to leave everything you know. I want you to leave your kindred. I want to leave your family, leave this land. And I'm going to take you to a new land where I'm going to make you a great people. And I'm going to bring somebody through you who's going to save the world. Right. And so it started with him hearing the voice of God and Abraham left. Right. It doesn't stop with Abraham. It keeps on going. Moses. Right. Moses is in captivity in Israel. He gets sent away for killing somebody. God comes to him through a burning bush. And what does he say? I want you to go back to Egypt. Where they, where they hate you and they want to kill you. And I want you to go free my people and lead them out of captivity where we can go to the promised land, right? And so Moses heard the word of God and what did he do? Did what it said, right? He obeyed. Now, the third one, Joshua, I can take you through the whole Bible with this. Joshua, you know, you see the first thing that happens with Joshua. Joshua chapter one, Moses dies. Somebody's got to take over. Joshua's 90 years old, right? Think about that. I don't think we got anybody 90 in here. If we do, they know what I'm talking about. It's bringing 90 years old. God comes to Joshua and he says, hey, I need you to lead my army to the promised land. Oh yeah. And let me tell you, there's about 10 or 12 people that you got to conquer. So there's 10 or 12 battles that you got to fight. I'm like 90 years old, dude. I don't know if I got it anymore. You know what I mean? And so like you think about that, that's the picture, but Joshua, what does he do? He obeys the Lord. And where do they go to the promised land? And you see this picture all throughout scripture. I could go all that. And the thing with us in our culture today is there's so many voices out there, right? There's the voice of God, yet there's also voices all around us, man. They're, they're everywhere. It's the voice of the world. It's the voice of people who, who really want to better themselves and they're not worried about us. So how do we hear from the voice of God, right? That's a great question. The first way I'd say you hear it is what? Read the Bible, right? This is, this is God's word to us, right? All word is what? God breathed, right? It's inspired by God. It's given to us for this. And I'll tell you this, the voice of God is always from the word of God. I don't care if somebody tells it to you, if you hear it in a prayer, if God brings your remembrance to it, whatever it is, the voice of God always comes back to the word of God. If it does not agree with the word of God, it is probably not the voice of God. And so I'd ask you this, 
Are you putting yourself in a good position to hear from the Word of God? When's the last time you opened this thing and read it and asked God, not just read it to say, I check it off my list, but read it to say, God, what do you want from me? What do you want me to do? What, what, what do you want me to do? You know, when's the last time that's happened? Another way is preaching, right? That's why we do what we do on Sundays, right? We come up here and if you hadn't noticed, I just look at the Word of God and tell you what it says, right? It's not that big of a deal. I mean, I, I, wanna, I want you guys to see that, man, you know, when you read the Word of God, it has application to our lives. We just have to take time to look at it. And so that's why we're here today is to hear from the Word of God, hear what the Lord would have for us. The third way is community, right? That's why we do connect groups. Right. That's why we put people around you guys. Right. So if you're not in a connect group, you need to be in a connect group. That way you have people around you that can really give you godly counsel. Because here's the thing. Everybody in here is walking through life with somebody. Right. There's probably nobody in here who's a one man wolf pack. You know what that is? Right. There's nobody in here who's a one man wolf pack. You've got people that you're walking through life with. Here's the thing. Are you surrounding yourself with people who are going to point you back to God's word and say, hey, this is what the Lord says, right? When you get in that situation and somebody's wronged you and that person says, nah, dude, they, they wronged you. Like, don't, don't deal with them. Leave them alone. Don't even talk to them. Just shun them. Don't talk to them again, right? You got that friend telling you that, but then, then you got what the word of God says. The God says what? To love those who persecute us, right? And so do we have those type of people in our lives that are helping us, that are, that are teaching us the word of God and that are speaking truth. And so the first thing we have to do is we have to realize that obedience starts with hearing the voice of God and then doing what it says, right? That's number one. Number two, let's look at verse 12b, the last, last part of verse 12. He says this, and the words of Haggai, the prophet, as the Lord, their God had sent him and listen to this and the people, what feared the Lord, right? Okay. So I don't know what you guys know about fear the Lord, right? Fearing of the Lord, right? That was kind of a weird context, but here's the thing is I've read the Bible over the past, you know, couple of years that I've been really reading it, the fear of the Lord comes up a lot. Have you ever noticed that? The fear of the Lord comes up a lot. I'll just read a couple of examples to you. Uh, Proverbs chapter one, verse seven, it says this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. Fools despise wisdom and instruction, right? Some translations say the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So, so the Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom so if, 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 if you're not fearing the Lord, you're not after wisdom. If you're not after wisdom, then you're what? A fool, right? Who in here wants to be a fool? Nobody, right? I don't either. There we go. Psalm 147, 11. What does it say? But the Lord takes pleasure in those who what? Fear him in those who hope in his steadfast love. One more in the New Testament. Acts chapter 9, verse 31 says this. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up, right? That's a good thing. And walking in the what? Fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it what? Multiplied, right? So everywhere we see the fear of the Lord in Scripture, it's positive. It's a great thing, right? And so that begs us the question like, I want to walk in the fear of the Lord. What is the fear of the Lord, right? That's what we want to know. And man, I really believe the best, the best example that I could see of it um, came from Isaiah 6, and, and you don't have to read this, but if you want to read it tonight, you can. It comes from Isaiah 6, the first couple of verses, and what happens, I'll just kind of walk you through, is Isaiah is a prophet, just like Haggai, and basically what happens is he comes 
before God. He actually comes in a vision before the Lord and sees God. And he sees, it says he's holy. He, he comes before him. Um, and, and they're like, he says the train of God's robe fills the temple. He's like blown away. There's smoke everywhere. Um, he, he, he's kind of baffling for words cause he don't know what to say. He says when he speaks, the ground shakes, right? And so he comes before the Lord and he sees this. And immediately when he sees God, he says something else. He says, woe is me. For I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live with a people of unclean lips. And then the next part is what I want us to see with the fear of the Lord, because right after he sees that and he has that that heart change of, wow, God could truly kill me, right? He's holy. He's not like me. That's what he what he sees. He comes before God. He says, wow, he he's not what I thought he was, right? He punishes sin and I'm a sinner. I'm not in good shape, right? But here, let me show you what the Lord does. The Lord say, it says he sends a seraphim, which is just this, this type of animal. And he comes to him and, and he, he comes with a coal and he touches Isaiah's lips. And he says, your sins are forgiven. Your sins been atoned for. Right? And so what I want us to see is that's what the fear of the, God, fear of the Lord looks like. The fear of the Lord looks like us coming to the realization of what God's done for us. If we don't see our sinfulness, then the cross doesn't mean anything, right? If we don't see that we're sinners and that we can't save ourselves, then really what God has done means nothing to us. But I'll tell you this, when we come to the realization that God sent his only son so that we could be on his team, so that we could have fellowship with him, so that we could walk in a relationship with him, it does something in here. It changes something in here. And we come to God and we say the same exact thing that Isaiah said to him. God asked him a question in Isaiah 6 and he says, Whom shall I send? Guess what Isaiah says? Here I am, Lord. Send me. Right? And so that's what I want you to see with the fear of the Lord. It's coming to the point where you see God for who he is. You see yourself for who you are. You see what Christ has done for you through the cross to, to connect you back to God, to put you back in a relationship with the Lord. And when we see that, it produces something in us that says, here I am, God. Send me wherever you want me to go, whenever you want me to go. And I would call this a blank check mentality, right? And not writing a check for money. That's I'm not taking up money. That's not what I'm saying. Here's what I'm saying. A blank check. That's, it's, it's a mindset of putting your yes on the table for the Lord. It's, it's seeing him for who he is, seeing what he's done for us and saying, God, I'll do anything, whatever you want me to do. It's, it's putting God in that place where we see Isaiah put him. And it says, man, it's putting our yes on the table. Because here's the thing we have to understand. Obedience is not just a one-time decision. It starts with that sometimes. But it's a lifestyle. It's a mindset. And that's what I want you to wrap your mind around is obedience. The fear of the Lord leads us to obedience, but the fear of the Lord is a mindset. It's coming before God, seeing the gospel of Jesus Christ and saying, oh my God, you did that for me? God, here I am. Whatever you want me to do, send me. I'm here for you. Whatever, anything, anytime, anywhere. God, I trust you. You're good. You're faithful. You're sovereign. I've seen that and what you've done for me through the gospel I'm your servant. Send me where you want me to go. Right? And you talk about setting yourself up for obedience. Put your yes on the table for the Lord. And so that's my question this morning for you guys. And I'll keep reminding y'all, have you put your yes on the table? Have you given God that blank check and said, Lord, whatever, whenever, I'm your servant. Send me wherever you want me to go, God. Wherever you want me to go, I'm here. Send me. Let's keep going. Verse 13. 
Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. And here's what the Lord's message was. I am with you, declares the Lord, right? So that's a great message. And here's, here's number three. Remembering God's promises confirms and drives our obedience. Hear that again. Remembering God's promises confirms and drives our obedience, right? So, so why, why is God's promises a big deal, right? Does, it, it, do we even know God's promises? God promises to be with us, right? Well, here's the thing. When God promises to be with us, that really don't mean anything unless we need him to be with us, right? So it's not really a big deal unless we need him to be with us. And, and here's why it's important, because obedience is not easy, right? Coming to God and saying, Lord, whatever, whenever, laying my blank check on the table, laying my yes on the table and saying, God, whatever you want from me, I'm ready to do it. That's not easy, right? But God's promises say, no. I'll be with you, right? So write this down too. Obedience isn't easy, but it's always right. Obedience isn't easy, but it's always right. And so here's the thing I want you to see. Back with Abraham, you remember when God comes to him in Genesis chapter 12 and he says, Abraham, here's what I want you to do. I want you to leave your kindred. I want you to leave your family. Leave this land that you're comfortable in. And I want you to go to this new land because I got a plan, right? And here's the thing we have to do. We have to put ourselves in the shoes of these people in the Bible. Think if, if you're Abraham, he comes to your house and he, he knocks on the door. God, you know, he says, hey, Billy, I know you're comfortable in Statesboro. I, I know you, you, you got a family here. I know your, your family's near around. But, hey, I want you to go to a different place. And I want you to do it because it's a part of my plan. And you might can't see what that plan is going to be. But it's a part of my plan. Put yourself in those shoes. That's a hard thing to do, right? And so when God, when Haggai comes and he says, hey, but listen to this. Here's the message of the Lord. He says, I'm with you, right? And in Abraham, when Abraham's story, when he comes to do that, guess what he tells him? He says, hey, go from your land. Go to this place that I'm going to show you. And I'm going to bless you. And I'm going to make you into a great nation. And all the people who curse you, I'm going to curse. And all the people who bless you, I'm going to bless, right? And so God always follows up with that promise behind that call to obedience. And so when we hear the voice of the Lord, and another thing I don't want you to miss either is before they heard the confirmation of the Lord, what did they have to do? Obey, right? They took the step, right? They said, I'm going to obey the Lord. And then the confirmation came afterwards. So many times in my life, guess what I want before I take a step at all? Confirmation, right? Lord, send me a butterfly. Send me something. I need a deer, whatever. Bring me a message from a crow. Whatever you got, send it to me. I need a burning bush. I need what Moses had. Send me something and then I'll take a step. But that's not always God's offer. God says, hear my voice, do what I say, and I promise you this, I'll be with you. And so remember that. Obedience isn't always easy, but it is always right. And, and, and that's what we have to remember is, man, that's how we can obey. When God comes to us and we're comfortable and God tries to push us out and say, hey, I want you to do something. It might be a little bit uncomfortable. It may be a little bit not what you feel is, is right. And it might be something that you feel that scares you a little bit. God says, remember my promises. Remember that the God of angel armies is always by your side. Remember that my plan is to prosper you, not to harm you. Remember, I'm going to work out all things for the good of those who love me and are called according to my purposes. Right? God's got a plan. He's got a promise that he gives us. But here's the thing. We want the promise without the obedience. 
right? And I know I do all the time, man. The Lord's killing me with this this week. And I, I want you guys to see it is, is, is such a, such a huge thing. And so let's keep going. Verse 14. Here's what he says. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel and the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, and the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. Right? So let's just the first part of this verse. He says, And the Lord stirred up the spirit of, of both leaders and the people. So he stirred up the spirit of everybody. Number five, or number four, sorry. Apart from obedience, I'm messing this up. Apart from God, Obedience doesn't happen. Apart from God, obedience does not happen. Without God in the picture, obedience doesn't happen. Who stirred their spirits, right? Read it right there. What's he say? And who stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel? And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, right? And man, I'm telling you, God has been hitting me with this all week. When people say the Bible doesn't speak, I promise you it does. When's the last time you've asked for God to stir up the spirit, his spirit in you? That's the question he asked me this week. When's the last time you've asked for God to stir up his spirit within you, right? And then it starts making sense. All the scripture I read, 2 Timothy um, chapter 1, verse 6. Guess what Paul tells Timothy? He says to fan the flame of the spirit that's in you, right? Fan the flame of the spirit that's in you, right? He says to ask God to stir up that spirit that's in you. Because here's the thing. You know what shows whether we want God to stir up the spirit or not? Our prayers, Right? Are we praying? When's the last time you prayed that? Because you know what prayer shows? Dependence on God, right? When we don't feel like we can do it on our own, what do we go to? Prayer, right? And I feel like God's been telling me all week, Billy, you don't realize how dependent you are on me. You don't breathe if I don't give you breath. And man, that's what we have to see is that God wants to lead us to dependence. You know what the greatest position to be in, to be used by God is? dependence, right? When we're dependent on God, he can use us, right? I heard a pastor say this one time. It's a phenomenal quote. He says this, if dependence is the goal of our life, then weakness is an asset. Write that down. If dependence is the goal of our lives, then weakness is an asset. Because here's the thing, the biggest I want to write this down too. The biggest hindrance to obedience is self-reliance, right? The biggest hindrance to obedience is self-reliance. When I say, God, no, I can do it on my own. I don't need, like, I can do this. Like, I can quit drinking. I can quit smoking. I can quit having sex with my girlfriend. I can quit doing all these things. I can not cheat on my wife. I can do these things. I got it under control, Lord. I don't need you. Guess what the first thing that goes is prayer. I quit praying because I don't need him anymore. And listen to me coming from three years of my life of me sitting there and saying, God, I can do this on my own. The pastor told me I don't need to hang out with the group of friends that I used to hang out with. The pastor told me don't go to the bar. Don't do these things. Don't smoke anymore. Don't, don't, don't do these things that the world does. But here's what you need to do. You need to start coming to church. You need to start coming to youth group. You need to get involved with FCA. You need to get involved with all these different things. And for three years, I did all those things. But you know what I never did? I never said, God, I need you to help me. I never humbled myself down and said, God, without you, I'm nothing. Apart from you, I can't do anything. 
And so, man, I've been praying all week that some of us would come to that realization because we don't realize how self-reliant we are until we consider our ways, as Joey was talking about last week, and say, when's the last time I've prayed for God to stir the Spirit in me, right? So we have to be honest with ourselves and say that. And man, dependence is not something that we conquer. Like, it's not something we've arrived, right? This is something every day that we have to work on to say, God, because here's the thing, as we begin to walk with the Lord... Guess what Satan, instead of like tempting us the other way, like Satan used to, or bringing our old past back in, some, at, at a time he transitions from that, and guess what he starts bringing in? This idea of legalism. You know what legalism is? It means that you feel like you got it all together, that you can read the Bible on your own, you can pray on your own, you can share the gospel on your own, you don't need anything because you are a good Christian, right? So we label ourselves on this good scale, and I do it all the time, and God's like, no, dude. Dependence is where you need to be. That's the goal. Man, I think it's, it's such a huge thing to see. And I was thinking about this this week, and it got me so excited, man. We're about June 1st. We're breaking ground on our new building. And, and man, I know that this one-in-one project that we're doing, it's not just about a building. It's about us pouring $1.5 million into missions, into this community, uh, organizations like Choices of the Heart, all these different places that we're really pouring stuff into. And, and here's the thought that God brought to my mind. He said, What can God do with a group of people that ask him to stir them up for his purpose? A group of people that say, God, I want you to stir my spirit. I want you to stir us up to do something big for your kingdom, man. God can do, he will turn Statesboro upside down. I promise you with the, I mean, even with the amount of people in this room, you think about it, God can do something huge and he wants you to do this. And here's the thing you got to see, look back verse 14, it says, and the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel. Okay. Zerubbabel was the leader of that time. He was the political leader. He would have been like the governor. Um, the next person he does is, uh, the spirit of Joshua. Joshua is the political leader. So they only had one church in the town. He was the pastor, right? So God stirred the spirit of the governor. He stirred the spirit of the pastor, but he didn't stop there. What does he go to? He says, and the high priest and the spirit of who all the remnant of the people who's God concerned with, not just the leader and the leader he's concerned with who? Everybody, because man, what God can do with a group of people who come in and say, Lord, stir up our spirit. We want to, we want to do something big for your kingdom is unimaginable. It's incredible, but it takes us humbling ourselves and saying, Lord, I need you to change me. I need you to change me. I need you to put your purpose in my heart so that I can pursue after it. And I, I know that's what God wants to do here. Let's keep going. The end of verse 14 says this. says he stirred their spirit and then the end of verse 14 and they came and worked on the house of the lord of hosts their god right on the 24th day of the month in the sixth month in the second year of darius the king number five obedience always results in action obedience never stops with me saying yes god i'm gonna be obedient it starts with our heart right that idea of fear in the lord it starts with us saying god my yes is on the table but then (laughs) But then that yes on the table is not enough. Then we have to say, God, okay, I'm actually going to do what you tell me to do, right? For 16 years, right? This is why the background of Haggai is so important because for 16 years, they're stuck in apathy, right? They've let opposition come in and, say, and just cause them to build their own houses. They're focused on their own lives, right? God's not, God's not the central, he's not the central priority in what they're doing, right? How many times is that true in our life? How many things do we let busy us and get away from God being centered, right? 
Soon as ball season rolls around, guess what becomes central in our lives? Our kids, our ball, right? But guess who we throw to the side? Jesus, right? So maybe, and and, I mean, it, it, it works. Maybe our work. Guess what? You know, busy season comes. You know, for me, in the fall, in the spring, Man, I can't hardly do anything because I'm working so hard. I got so many people signing up for stuff and doing all these different things. I'm running around like a chicken with my head cut off, you know. And the first thing that always goes, the first thing that I'm always just laid to the side is my relationship with God. And that's what God's saying. He wants to come in today. And maybe today God has sent you here for a divine appointment. You know what that means? Just like God sent Haggai out of these people after 16 years Maybe he brought you here today and maybe he sent me like Haggai to say, dude, it's time. You've been pursuing yourself for 16 years. You've been at the center of what you're doing for 16 years, maybe 16 years, maybe 20 years, maybe 40 years, maybe two years. Maybe there used to be a time where you came to church and you were, you, you felt like you, you had it for the Lord, but you kind of let it slide. You've let something else move into where God needs to be, that central role in your life. I'd ask you today, today's the day that God wants to move back there. And it starts with you opening up your heart and saying, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I've moved you. I want you to come back and be there. And not only that, but we result to action. That's where we go from here. And and the other thing I want you to hear in that is after 16 years, what did God not do? He didn't give up on them, right? He sent Haggai. He sent Haggai in there after 16 years instead of saying, man, these people are stupid. I can't do anything with these people. No, he said, I'm going to send my messenger because I want them on my team. I want to do something big in their lives. Maybe you need to hear that today. God wants to use you. You're not done yet. I don't care if you're 40, 50. I don't care if you're 6, 5, 12, 13, wherever you're at. God's not done with you. He wants to do something And today he sent you here to say, it's time to bring God back to the center of my life. So remember that always obedience always results in action. What are your actions showing? Are your actions showing that you're obedient to God? Are they not matching up? Right? Because the normal idea of obedience in our culture, you want me to tell you what it is? I come to church on Sunday. I may get involved in a connect group if if I have time during the week. Right? I may serve on Sunday if, if I want to. I'll pray before we eat meals because that's what my parents taught me to do. I'll read my Bible if I have time, right? And if we do all those things right, guess what we label ourselves as? Obedient. I'm being obedient. That's not what the Bible says obedience is. Maybe that's a part of it. The Bible calls obedience so much more. I want you to see what Jesus said. He said, this is how Jesus explains obedience. In Luke chapter 9, verse 23 and 24, he says this. He's got this crowd following him. He's got all these people out here just like this today. Probably way more because he's way cooler than me. And he says this. And Jesus said to the crowd, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Right? That's not the call to Christianity we're used to hearing. 
It's not what I heard for so long of my life. The call to come and follow Christ is a call to come and lay your life down and say, Jesus, my yes is on the table. Whether it's comfortable, whether it's not comfortable, whatever it is, you're worthy of my whole life. Here it is, God. Here's my blank check. Whatever, whenever, I'm here. Do what you want to do with me. And I pray today that you'll put your yes on the table. One of my favorite guys to read about is a, is a, is a, is a missionary. He went to Ecuador. I don't know if y'all seen the end of the spear. His name's Jim Elliott. But he was quoted saying this. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Hear this coming from a guy who gave his life to go share the gospel in a country that had never heard. Never heard the gospel. Nobody got saved. He went down there and they killed him as soon as he got off the plane. But you know what? A year later, his, his, his wife went down there. and or Not his wife, but some other people went down there with him. And, and the first person came to know the Lord. He said this, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And so here, here, here it is. I mean, here, here's what I got. At the end of the day, you know what matters is obedience. That's all that matters. It doesn't matter. Your Sunday attendance. God's not going to bring you before himself and say, hey, how many Sundays were you in connection? Right? How many small groups were you a part of? That's not what he's going to say. He's going to say, were you obedient to my word? Did you trust in Christ as your savior? That's what's going to get us there. But the next question is going to be, man, this is what I had for you. All it takes is for you to be obedient. I have plans, right? Ephesians 2.10, you are Christ's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that he's prepared beforehand. He has good works for you guys. He has good works for me. All it takes is obedience. And so I pray today that you'll lay your yes on the table. And, and, and here's the thing. I don't know what that looks like, man. I, I don't know what that looks like for y'all. I know the mindset is, God, whatever, whenever, I'm here. And, and maybe today, that's... Today's the first time you've ever heard that. Today's the first time you've ever heard that you were created to lay your life in front of God. And when you do that, you find true life for the first time. Maybe that's the first time you've ever heard that. And you say, God, my yes is on the table. Like today, my yes is on the table. For the first time, I've never trusted in you as my Lord and Savior. I've never heard the gospel the way I've just heard it. That it cost me something. That it cost me my life. I've never heard that. And today you say, man... My yes is on the table. God, I want to give you my blank check. If that's you today, I want you to raise up your hand for me. We want to give you some stuff and get you with some people. Anybody? Got one. Anybody else? Bo's going to come and pray with you. That's okay. That, that's not it. See, that, that maybe that's the first time. But here's the thing. You read the scripture in Luke chapter 9. What does he say? If anyone comes after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross, what? Daily. Right? So our yes has to be on the table, not just the first time. Every time. Every day. God, get up every day. Lord, God, I want to hear from you today. I want to do what you say. God, I've read your promises. Lord, I want to walk in the fear of you. God, my yes is on the table. Lord, I, I want to do what you want me to do. And so maybe some of you guys hadn't done that in a long time. 
I know God got me this week and said, hey, when's the last time you've done it? I pray today would be the day that maybe for the first time in a long time, maybe you know the Lord, you've been walking with God, but you hadn't really been open to him moving you away from your comfort zone. You hadn't been really open to him saying, hey, I'm not calling you to comfort. I'm calling you to follow me. And sometimes that's uncomfortable. And so, man, if that's you today, I want to pray for you. If that's you today, I stand up. I want to, I want to pray for you. Is there anybody in here today that would say, man, God, I hadn't put my yes on the table in a long time. And it's there today. God, whatever, whenever. I want to do what you want me to do. Standing up don't do anything. I, everybody's scared to stand up. No, I mean, I don't want you guys to be scared to stand up. I want you to know if, if you want to put your yes on the table for the Lord, and I'm not saying salvation. I'm not saying getting saved. You you're already know the Lord if you're in here and you're, and you're listening to me. I want you to be open to what God has for your life. Maybe say, hey, I don't have it all figured out. I don't know, God. But I know today I want to lay my yes on the table and say, Lord, whatever you want from me, I'm here today. If that's you, I want you to stand up. Remember the first thing we talked about? Prayer. When's the last time we prayed for God to stir our spirit? If you want your spirit stirred in here today, I want you to stand up. I'm going to make everybody in here stand up. I promise. I'll keep talking. But don't stand up if you don't mean it. All right, let's pray. Father. God, I do just thank you this morning, Lord. I, I pray that this message doesn't fall on dull ears, God. I, I pray it doesn't, Lord. I, I know this week has been tough for me, God. I know so many times we've become comfortable in the routine. God, we, we become in a routine of what we do. We take our kids here, take our kids there. We, we do a certain thing. We have this on this night, this on that night. Lord, I'm praying that we lay our routines down and say, God, whatever, whenever, my yes is on the table. Lord, I don't know what that means for everybody in here. God, it may mean baptism. God, it may mean leading my family through a reading plan. It may be for the first time. God, I want to start reading the Bible with my family, my wife. And man, we want to equip you guys to do that, man. God, and, and I pray that you would move, you would stir spirits in here today to be a part of your purpose. Lord, you command us to go and make disciples. I pray we'd look at our lives. Are we doing the very thing that you told us to do, God? Are we going and investing in people's lives and showing them who you are and loving them and walking with them through life? Lord, I pray that we would be obedient to that today. Lord, I pray that we would be a church known for loving people. God, we'd be known for our generosity. God, we'd be known for our service. God, we'd be known for our evangelism. God, we'd be known for the community that we have here. That's our heart, Lord, and we ask you, today to stir our hearts to that lord we need you more than anything in the world god some people in here a lot of times i think that i don't need you i think i can go off on my own and do what i want to do but lord today i'm saying i'm proclaiming over these people i'm proclaiming over my life god i need you god would you move in our hearts today lord i pray that today would be the best mother's day we've ever had because today's the day that we put our yes on the table for you for whatever you want of our lives whenever you want of it God, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.